Here we go. Okay, my friends. The readings for today are especially rich. I think maybe we'll look at a few, uh, uh, a little bit here, a little bit there. Okay. First, a word, a continued word of prayer of consciousness. Lord God, thank you. The service has been special. There's been a holy quietness, and there's been real kavanah, and we believe that it's due to the influence of your spirit, even as we prayed. And you've been so gracious to us. And we, I pray, Lord, that your, your spirit would continue to rest upon us and that you would cause us to be focused on what you wish to say to us. Open our hearts, open our minds, open our eyes, open our lives to your instruction. And may we walk from, may we go from this service more deeply motivated and equipped to bring you honor and glory. Help us, we pray, even now, in Yeshua's name. <clears throat> okay, my friends. Uh, the reading was about the uh, descendants of Reuben and God, of these two tribes, who, as Israel is about to go off into the Promised Land, cross the Jordan from the east to the west side of the Jordan, they come to Moses and they say, look, Moses, here on the west side of the Jordan, there's all this land here that we're sitting on. It's great for our flocks. Let us inherit here. Moses says, what are you, troublemakers? Are you trying to create division among the people? They say, they eventually they say, no, 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 no. We will go with our brothers uh, over to the other side of the Jordan. We will help to fight your wars. We will be one with you. But, but we'll leave our wives and our children here. And after all the battles have been won, we'll come back. Moses says, cool, it's good. And uh, um, it's a lesson in something which I find extremely difficult, and maybe you do too. It's a lesson in conflict resolution. And I think we'll all agree that we're living in a day where the capacity of conflict re resolution seems to be at an all-time low. So let's take a look at, uh, at some of these uh, questions. Uh, anybody who wants to read, just volunteer to read question number one on the right-hand side. So any, uh, anyone. Yes, this is Lynn, I'll read. Um, in our passage, the tribes of Reuben and Gad want to settle their families and their livestock on the east side of the Jordan, while the rest of Israel will be crossing the Jordan to fight their battles and to settle on the west side of the river. Was the desire of the Reubenites and Gadites an, an inappropriate one? Why did they desire what they did? Yeah, can you tell us that, Lynn? Oh, I knew you were gonna ask me. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just going to refrain right now from. Okay, anyone else? Why did why did they want this? It's it's very clear from what I said earlier. Steve, what do you say? Rabbi, yes. So they wanted it because the land was so good and it was appropriate for their flocks. Um, right. But I, I'd like to ask you a question. And this other one was the desire of the Reubenites and Gadites an inappropriate one. The land of Israel that God had given to to the Jewish people extended on the other side of the Jordan also. 
So I'm, I'd ask you, it, was it inappropriate? That, was, that land was part of the inheritance, wasn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Okay. Uh, so it wouldn't be inappropriate. Read, read, read the second question, Stephen. Second one. Have you ever been in a relationship with a wider group where what you desired for yourself differed from what everyone else was going to do? In what ways, if at all, was that situation difficult for you? Okay. You're in a situation like they're part of the wider Israel, and they want to do something which at first is very much frowned upon. Have you ever been in a situation where you're part of a larger group where what you want is um, somewhat different from what they're used to thinking about? And was that difficult for you? Anybody want to share any experiences of, uh, of conflict of this sort? I'll share one as long as I'm on here. Um, what just comes to mind in particular is things, uh, some things even regarding AZS, when I've been either in board meetings or some other meetings where I did want to see something go a certain way and didn't go that way. Um, it's a little difficult, but, you know, at that time, I've learned to kind of just uh, go with the wisdom of the group. Um, but yeah, it's difficult at first. I think it's a, it's kind of a skill to to eventually learn to go with the wisdom of the group. And it's also a skill to learn, like the group the Gadites did, to advocate for yourself. We saw that the, the daughters of Zelophehad did that. Uh, they advocated for themselves. They didn't just go along with the neglect of the group. So I think it. You're right. I I think all of us need to recognize that it takes skill. And this is something I am very bad at. I came from a home where nothing, nothing was ever resolved through discussion. It was not possible in my family of origin. And so I never learned to, to, to how to resolve conflicts, nor did I learn to expect that they could be resolved by discussing them. That makes me to be a bit handicapped. Stuart? Let Stuart? Me that's my name. Hi, Let this is Lynn, Lynn S. I was just going to bring up the example of the, 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 the 12 spies where 10 agreed that the land wasn't for them and two disagreed. Yes. Is my microphone working, folks? Yeah, yeah we hear you. Good. All right, thank you, Lynn. Um, as I was saying, I recognize that for some of us, asking for what we have a right to want is very difficult. And for also, as Steve pointed out, there's also times when you can't always get what you want. I don't know where that phrase comes from. <laughs> but where you can't always get what you want. Rolling Stones. Ah, that's before my time way before my time. Uh, and when you don't get what you want, can you be peaceable with the community? This is very important in any kind of group, like our congregation. You're not only going to get what you want, but some people, if they don't get what they want, they sulk, they slam the door, they leave, they, they complain, they dig their heels in, they... they, they uh, passively aggressively that people know, I don't like this. Well, we need to learn 
of the Torah teaches us. Number one, how to advocate for the things that we want that are reasonable. But we also have to learn how to deal with what Steve mentions when things don't exactly go our way. Okay. Stuart, can I say something? Sure, who's speaking? So Anthony Ainetta. Go ahead, Anthony. The, the thing that makes the thing that makes an army strong is cohesiveness. This also works in an orchestra. If you give yourself to something, you then that's what you have to do. You have to go along with it whether you like it or not. Right. Okay, Anthony. Uh, since you did that, read the next question, question three. Yeah. The Reubenite and Gadite tribal leaders come to Moses and Aaron to negotiate a compromise. Tell how negotiating a compromise was a difficult and unsuccessful experience for you. How about successful experiences? What made them successful? Yeah, we won't do that now because I, I asked earlier and there's not a lot coming up. So read question four. Perhaps the best lesson we can learn from the, this account is how Moses expected the Reubenites, Gadites, concurred that it was their responsibility not to put their own self-interest ahead of the interest of the group. How would you like to see this value displayed in your context and in the world today? Right. Not putting your interests against the interests of the group. Uh, there's a, another prophet whose name is um, uh, her, uh, uh, name is uh, Spock, and he said, "The the good of the many outweighs the good of the few," yeah. and that's a very that's a very Jewish thing. We find that in this uh, in this uh, Torah reading. Moses says, "What are you guys doing? You want your little selfish interest? You want to have this land here? What about your people that you're part of going over the other side of Jordan? What are they chopped liver?" So. Uh, uh, one of the lessons is that is that we have a responsibility to the others of the group in which we are involved. If you're part of a congregation, if you're part of a family, if you're part of a neighborhood association, if you're part of a nation, it's not mature to say, look, I want what I want and I don't care about anybody else. We have a responsibility to want what's best for the group. Amen. Uh, last question, Mr. Ionetta, read number five. When leaders put their own interests before the interests of their group, how does this affect group morale, group functioning, the authority of those leaders who act in this manner? Right. Leaders have to be careful yeah. that they're seen as being servants of the well-being of the community. Otherwise, they lose authority. They may still have the title, they may still have the paycheck, but unless you're really seen as a servant of the people's well-being, person who's fed, last second, somebody's interrupting me. I don't know who it is, but when I finish the sentence, uh, we can do that. Um, when you're a leader, if you're not perceived to be looking out for the well-being of the group as fundamental, as primary, as the overarching concern that the well-being of the group trumps everything else. If you're not thinking that way, then the group will, will no longer trust you. And then you don't have authority, even if you have a paycheck. Now, who is going to speak? Who is, who is, who, who, Anthony uh, Ainetta. 
Yes. Yeshua himself came and gave his life that we might be one family. That's true. And uh, certainly he exemplified representing the well-being of the group as, a, as opposed to the individual. He, he didn't want to go to he didn't want, want to go to the cross, didn't want to go to Golgotha. He didn't want that. But he said to God, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And uh, he also gave himself for us. It says, uh, consider Yeshua, the author of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the, the torture stake, despising he put the good of the rest of us ahead of himself. And that's a lesson for all of us. Okay. Uh, Rusty, I'm going to ask you to close us out here. Would you read these lessons about the Haftarah, please? Starting where? The, the right. number? Knowing, growing and knowing God this week. Okay. Hold on one second. I've got to get rid of part of this picture. There we go. One of the gems to be found in this week's Haftorah reading, Jeremiah 2, 4 to 28 and 3, 4, is the principle of exchange. The quality of our life is determined by the choices we make and, by our, cho and, and our choices always involve exchanging options, trading up or trading down. Jeremiah, read, that, read, read that again. The quality of our life is determined by the choices we make and our choices always involve changing, changing options, trading up or trading down. Jeremiah talks about this, and we, and we need to pay attention. It will make all the difference <clears throat> in the weight of our lives. Continue? Yeah, in the blue box. So again, I state my case against you, says Adonai. And stated against your grandchildren too. Number 10, cross to the coasts of the Kitim and look. Send to Kadar and observe closely. See if anything, if anything like this has happened before. 11, has a nation ever exchanged its gods and theirs are not gods at all? Yet my people have exchanged their glory. 12, be aghast at this, you heavens. Shudder in absolute horror, says Adonai. Now, 13, for my people have committed two evils. They have abandoned me, the fountain of living water, and dug for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that of an old, <clears throat> those that will hold no water. Okay, the, principle, the principle is so clearly illustrated there, especially as illustrated in idolatry, exchanging relationship with the one true and living God for something without true value. The prophet reminds us that all make that, <clears throat> excuse me, reminds us that all, reminds us that making such poor choices, such bad trade-offs, it involves a double loss. He calls these two evils broken cisterns that you that can hold no water. We have exchanged oh, no, 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 our no. everything. We have no, changed. Stop. stop. Yeah. I skipped the line. I'm sorry. Two evils. First, we have forsaken God, the fountain of living water, the living uh, replenisher and nurturer of our lives. And second, we have dug cisterns, broken cisterns that could hold no water. 
we have then exchanged our everything for a nothing. Okay, so my admonition to us as we close this instruction part of our service is realize that every choice you make is, an, is a trade. You are deciding on whatever it is you're choosing and you're, you're choosing against other things. We often choose against God's will. We choose something else. And that, uh, that ends up being a uh, uh, double loss. We're forsaking the fountain of living waters, the source of our replenishment and nourishment. And we've dug out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. We've, we're exchanging our everything for a nothing. Let's be very careful in the choices we make. Every choice is a rejection of everything else except that which we're choosing. So choose wisely, my friends. And that's my word for today. Okay. Rabbi, this is Hannah. May I say something or it's too late? Yes. Let's talk for a moment before we go to the Elenu. Not only you, but I'm opening up for others to make comments. But you go first. Okay. Uh, I wanted to share um, uh, the fact that I wanted to, um, uh, anytime there's an opportunity for me to share the Word of God, I get excited and zealous for it. And uh, this has been my life since I was born again. And so every time I would want to, I would meet a new person, I would immediately like races in my mind, what shall I say? How am I going to say it and everything? And then I learned to quiet my soul and ask the Holy Spirit, instead of coming up with my own first line, I ask him, what is your line, Holy Spirit? And so time after time, especially during this coronavirus thing, where I am in a house of somebody else, you know, I'm renting, and people come and visit. And every time somebody comes and visits, I ask the Lord, and he works up the circumstance, and I talk to them about the Lord, and they get saved. So far, I have a little congregation coming up here, and they don't come all at once, but they come one at a time, three at a time, or five at a time. And God opened the way. And all that because I have yielded myself to ask him what he wants to say rather than what I, what I want to say. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, does anybody have anything that flows out of the scriptures we have read and the discussion we had? Anybody? I want to give you an up. I'm not demanding anything. I'm just giving you an opportunity. Okay. Uh... Anybody have anything else they want to say at this point in the service? Still have our announcement coming up, but uh, if there's anything that's not inappropriate to this part of the service, please go on. Right there. Two and three. Yes, Rabbi. This is Marie Rabbi. I would like to understand in the, in the reading in the blue, well, what it was read before. In the blue part, where it says the number one, where he says, So again, I state my case against you, says Adonai, and then says, I state something about against your grandchildren. That's, I would like to understand that, please. Uh, God, God, you know, God realizes that sins, the sins of the nation. Uh, uh, I don't know. Who's speaking? I was questioning. I, I know, was I know that. Yes. But other people are speaking while I'm trying to speak, so I, I get confused. 
you asked me a question. Basically, when when the nation falls into sin, yes, it not, it's not only the sins that they commit, but the influence they have on the coming generations. Oh, so God, I, I got a problem with you and with your grandchildren because your grandchildren are going to exemplify the same kind of behaviors you're doing. I see. Talking about. Okay. Okay. Thank and the Bible you. says also. I'm going to visit the sins of the father upon their children and their children's children. That's what he says. What does that mean? Well, it means that God knows that that the terrible choices we make end up end up staining our children and our grandchildren. Uh, I'm 75 years old. I spend a lot of my time right now thinking about my family of origin. I don't know why, but thinking about about the ways in which I. Uh, I've been influenced by by the uh, by the experience I had in, my, in the house of my parents, and similarly, a person's children and grandchildren are affected by the choices that they make. So that's how I see it. Thank you for your good question. Mary. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much. You're more than, you're more than welcome. Thank you. I appreciate. It. Okay. Anybody else? I don't. I'm only asking because I don't want you to feel truncated or strangled. <laughs> okay. Uh, Rabbi, this is Richard. Hello. Yes, hello. Yes, what I see going in this nation now, I, you know, I see the news, but I see a lot of bad choices going on by people claim to be religious. Yeah, let's, not they, be, let's not be political, Richard. It, it really, it really... Okay. It, 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 it really uh, accomplishes nothing good. Okay. But what I see is a lot of hatred going on, and it's going to affect immediate generations, and, and, it's, and it sickens me. I understand that. It's an illustration. And, and, and I think we need, I need to pray, how are we going to be a source of healing to, uh, I want to be a peacemaker, you know, resolve you know, melt enmity, the cause of enmity, dissolve enmity. That's what a peacemaker is supposed to be. I'll give you, I'll give you the answer as I see it. The early church began in, in a very pagan world. Very pagan. Much more pagan than anything you see around, around you here. And uh, the pagan writers report about the astounding influence that the early believers in Jesus had uh, how do they have influence? Not the way we tend to do in America. The believers did not argue with the pagans. What they did is what Peter talks about in, uh, in uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. It says, he says, live such good lives among the pagans that, uh, that they will see your good works and they will glorify the God, God on the day he visits us. The pagans were astounded at the quality of the lives of the believers, of their kindness, of taking care of, of the poor and the destitute pagans, of, taking, of burying pagans who had nobody to bury them, of, of their service to others. So I would say that the chief way in which we have influence is not by lecturing and not by fetching, which I see both happening widely, but by setting an example that is uh, that is just 
irrefutable. That's, that's, uh, that's all we'll say for now. We want to go into the end of our service. So.